0: So, <clears throat> so the parsha this week is parsha's Bahar, and again, it's a single portion because it's a leap year. It's a single portion. Normally, this goes together with Buhu So, the uh, the the subject matter, the a, a primary subject matter, of the parsha is the Shemitah, the law, of the Shemitah, the sabbatical year. So, I'm not going to go into that per se. But the very end of the portion, the very very end of the portion, chapter twenty six, last few verses of the portion. It's interesting how. I don't know why it is this way, but the chapter, the, the way that, you know, that the chapters and the verses were not, well, the chapter numbers, the chapter numbers and then the verses which follow in those chapters were not, is not a an innovation of the of the sages. The chapters were added in at some point later in the history because we don't have chapters and numbers of verses in the Chumash. We have parashias, we have paragraphs and passages which are separated by spaces, but the actual chapter numbers is not the, innovation of a jewish sages so um it's the christian i don't know how i mean whatever the origin is is the origin but it's not what the point i'm making is that the it, chapter 26 begins with the last two verses of the portion so it's very strange like i don't know why they did it this way but chapter 26 you know we have the portion ending with chapter 26 verse 2 but whatever whoever added the chapter numbers into it made the last two verses the beginning of, of chapter 26 and, tw- and then 26 goes on into next week's portion as well and there's altogether according to the numbers of verses of 26 there's about 40 there's 46 verses 46 sorry 48 verses altogether in chapter 26 where the first two verses begin, begin at the end of this portion so whatever the understanding of that is it's not really relevant but i'm going to focus in on Chapter 26, verses 1 and 2, which are the last two verses of the portion. So the last two verses say the following. Torah says, Don't make idols for yourselves. You shall not make idols for yourselves, and you shall not erect for yourselves a statue or a pillar. And in your land you shall not emplace a flooring stone upon which to prostrate oneself. For I am Hashem your God, my Sabbaths shall you observe, and my sanctuary shall you revere, I am Hashem. And that's the last two verses of the portion. So underscoring the severity and the prohibition of idolatry, underscoring the mitzvah Shabbos, and underscoring the idea of the reverence for the sanctuary, reverence for the base of Migdash, which really means having reverence when you go to the base of Migdash, going to the base of Migdash, going to visit Jerusalem, and having great reverence for the holiness of Jerusalem and the base of Migdash. So the three subjects, the three topics of Shabbos, idolatry, and Beis Migdash. The last three topics, the three mitzvahs of the portion. The question is, what's what are they doing here? Why are they here? Especially given the fact that um, most of the portion is about Shemitah. And also the latter part of the portion, right before these three verses, they talk about slavery and how different categories of slavery, of Jews being of Jews owning slaves and Jews being slaves i, I don't want to dwell in, uh, dwell on that maybe in the questions and answers we can discuss that later on but but this the subject of slavery in general which just as a, just one point I'll, I'll make that jewish slavery is not is not uh, oppressive it's not a, even that the word slavery in english has a connotation of, uh, of oppression and subjugation the, the there are many many laws about what Jew, jewish slavery is it's called abdus and it's uh, indentured servants is the is the expression it's a lot more respectable, a lot more fair than it may than the word slavery may meet the eye. But that's a, a, a separate conversation. But the previous subject over here was about slavery, is about avdus, about this the subject of slavery, and again Shemitah uh, the is a big topic of the portion. So what are these? Why why is the Torah emphasizing Shabbos, idolatry, and reverence for the base of Migdash? So Rashi gives us the answer. Rashi says over here. Rashi writes over here quoting from the uh Medrash that <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> <clears throat> that these last three verses is really primarily being ad- really addressing a Jew who was sell- sold to a non Jew and that's one of the topics mentioned at the end of the portion a Jew who ends up getting sold to a non Jew to a non Jewish idolater for example a Jew has to sell himself or his soul to a non-Jewish an idolater living in Israel, may be there in Israel, if he, sold, if he ends up being sold to a non-Jewish idolater, these three verses are addressing such an individual. Rashi says, this, these, three, these three verses, with, three, with these three mitzvahs, are addressing the Jew who sold to a nochri, to a Gentile. Shaloyomah, that this Jew who's now in the home and in the employment of this non-Jewish idol, idolater, <speaking in Hebrew> since my master behaves immorally, <speaking in Hebrew> I'll also behave immorally as well. <speaking in Hebrew> Just like my master worships idols, so I also have an excuse to worship idols just like my master breaks Shabbos, I'll also break Shabbos too. That's why these three verses, that these verses are mentioned, to warn him, don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. Just because you're in that environment, just because you're living and you're employed by somebody, you're in the home of somebody, you're in the environment of somebody, you've been educated in a certain kind of way, whatever the circumstances, don't make excuses. Whatever the circumstances are, that's not an excuse for your for for, for, th- for this person's dereliction of his responsibilities. And the three which are mentioned over here, again, the three are Shabbos, idolatry, and reverence for the base of Migdash. Rashi says that if he says to himself, I can break Shabbos because my master breaks Shabbos. So, that's, so the, the verse says, keep Shabbos. Make sure to keep Shabbos. If the person says... You know, I have justification, my master, like I'm in, a, in such an environment, I'm influenced by him, he, he worships idols, so I'll also go to church with him and worship idols. The verse says don't worship idols. The third thing Rashi says is he's also immoral. He was also uh, an immoral, and it's referring to sexual immorality. He's also immoral, so I'll also be immoral as well. It's interesting, the verse doesn't mention that ex- directly. It says, the, the, the third mitzvah, which the verse mentions, is reverence for the base of migdash but it's understandable because what's the point of having reverence for the base of Migdash? The whole point of going to the base of Migdash and having reverence for it is to be imbued with Yerushamayim, with fear of heaven. Fear of heaven, Yerushamayim, is the antidote to all sorts of immorality. So they all match. The three things match. And the Ramban Nachmanadi says, Nachmanadi says this is like another big three. Well, we have the big three transgressions of idolatry, murder, and immorality. These really serve as the three primary, you know, mitzvahs in this respect. Of either, and Ben says he says, it says the verse mentions these three: shehin avos avos lalame And these are primary categories of mitzvahs which teach about all the mitzvahs: shabbos, idolatry, but also reverence of the base of Migdash. We don't have a base of today. Obviously, we you know, we can go to Jerusalem, but even going to Jerusalem is not going to really give us the same kind of inspiration uh, as they had in the times of the of English. But perhaps for us would be going to shul, going to shul and having the inspiration of being in a shul environment and seeing the service being performed and the learning which is done over there. It inspires us. You know, it's as anyone who goes when you, when you go to, to a base measure, you go to a kollel, go to a kollel, go to a base measures, go to a shir. The environment inspires, and it creates more reverence. So they, these are the three, the, the three big, the three big ones. But the the point that Rashi's making is that a person can't make excuses for himself. A person can't make excuses, even though you know it's like it's uh, it's that's, we're in these situations and uh, circumstances happen, situations happen in our lives, and it's it's and it's easy to make excuses and use those as justifications. A friend of mine. Uh, his name is rabbi Osher Resnick. Uh, lives in Israel in Jerusalem. He a new information Torah from forty years ago. So he just came a new a new a new book just came onto the market by Feldheim Publishers. It's called "Pain is a Re- Pain is a Reality." Pain is a reality. Uh, sorry, pain is a reality. Suffering is a choice. Pain is a reality. Suffering is a choice. He wrote this book about suffering and and illness because actually his, his daughter many years ago passed away of leukemia when she was like 14 years old. So, you know, so he spent a lot of his life really refining his understanding and teaching his con- the concepts of, of understanding suffering in general. But this book just brand new just came out called Pain is a Reality, Suffering is a Choice. But it really bespeaks the same concept because pain is a reality. Suffering is a choice because the suffering is our reaction to It's is, is how we deal with the situations in our lives. So that's in that venue. But also in whatever circumstances I'm experiencing in life, whatever they are, they're realities. They are realities. I'm surrounded by people, perhaps, who are not so God-fearing. I'm surrounded by, I have family members who aren't so into it. I have, I have to go to work at a place which is very anti- antithetical to my Jewish values, etc., etc., etc. These are realities. They are realities. But my response to those realities is my choice. They're my choice. I can choose to allow that to influence me. I can choose not to have it to influence me. And the Torah is saying over here that this individual who's in such a terrible place of such negative influence, he has no excuse. He still has a responsibility. Shabbos, idolatry, and reverence for the base of Migdash. And that's what Rashi is telling us over here. It's very, you know, very important idea. The question is exactly how did he get into this situation in the first place? What are we talking about? We're talking about this person, this Jew, who became enslaved to a Gentile idolater? What's the story? What's the backstory? How does a person end up in that situation? So Rashi says, Rashi goes on over here, and he says that, the the and this also explains why this subject is also in the parish of Shemitah as well. Because Rashi says, mm-hmm. the, the portion begins by warning us about the importance and the severity of Shavias so at the seventh year, Shemitah. And what's the reason why a person may be may, may, may neglect observing the laws of Shemitah? Because Shemitah is a sacrifice. Shemitah means leaving your land fallow for the uh, seventh year, for the for the seventh year. You know, it's hard to do. Someone who is very attached to his possessions, to his money may have a hard time doing it. And that's what Rashi says. If, Muhammad Muhammad, such a, if a person has such an attachment to his possessions, as a material possessions and his money. But Nakshal HaShavias, and is going to be negligible, negligent in Shavias, and, and not, not observe it, then, you know, things can happen, either as a wake-up call or as a punishment, but it's a slippery slope. So for Limkor going to he may experience uh, setbacks, and he's going to end up selling property, because the portion also speaks about laws of selling property in the walled cities and unwalled cities. That was the an earlier part of the portion as well. But that's a consequence when people are. Are derelict with it comes to shemitah, they'll end up losing their property, and then it says and then it says continues and lo If a person doesn't get the lesson after all of that, sof mocha es beso, he's going to end up selling his house. Doesn't learn the lesson from that, sof Lova Also mentions actually ribis uh, lending with interest in the portion as well, because he's also going to end up being in dire straits, he's going to be forced, quote unquote, feel forced to uh, lend with with interest. But all of these things, it keeps getting worse and worse to the point that if he doesn't learn the lesson, doesn't get the message, he's going to end up selling himself. He's going to be, having lost his possessions, he'll end up selling himself. And he'll even be willing to sell himself, not just to a Jew, but even sell himself to a, a, a non-Jew, an idolater, the worst situation. So that's the reason, that's the set. the sequence of topics in the portion one leads to another to another to another to a point that a person's gonna go so down the tube so to speak that he's going to be willing to sell himself to a non-jew to a non-jewish idolater that's why we're talking about this well this really this really now kind of brings into focus a very interesting question because this person did it to himself he did it to himself he was the cause of his own downfalls for through, through his foolish mistakes and his desires and And the mistakes that he's made, he's now found himself in this situation, now he's selling himself to to an idolater. He has a responsibility, nonetheless, the Torah says, just because you found yourself in these circumstances, and even though you put yourself into these, actually, precisely because you put yourself into these circumstances, make sure, you know, you, you have a responsibility, don't use this as an excuse, that we've learned about so far. But there's a very interesting point now, because this little piece over here is preceded by the major uh, details of this law of the Jew who sold himself as a slave. Because the passage really begins, chapter 25, verse 47. Because the passage begins about this person who sold himself as a slave to a non-Jewish idolater. It begins, "If if the means of a sojourner resides with you, if this person, this idolater, has the means to be able to buy a Jew, and your brother becomes impoverished, And as a result, it ends up selling himself to him for the reasons we just mentioned. Nonetheless, verse 48, after he's been sold, he shall have a redemption. He shall have a redemption. One of his brothers shall redeem him. His uncle, his cousin shall redeem him or relative from his family shall redeem him. Or if he has the means himself, he has to he has to redeem himself. But his relatives have to redeem him. Now, what's the case speaking about? Now, the law is, as it says, the, the verses go on to say that automatically everybody goes free in the Jubilee year. That's the rule with slaves in general. So even this individual, automatically the law would require him to go to go free. It's interesting. The law does not require, it's not illegal for this non-Jewish idolater to actually purchase him. That's not illegal, right? That's not the illegal, the illegal part of this. The legal part of it is that he's 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 allowed and he must go free in the jubilee year no matter what. So let's say for example, um, let's say there's five years before the jubilee year. It's five years left before the jubilee year, and the the idolater buys him for a hundred thousand dollars, and that's he pays him. And let's say this you know, the the Jew has debts he wants to pay off, so he gets the money, a hundred thousand dollars. He's taken care of for all the other things in in his life, his lodging and his food, etc. But he's given a hundred thousand dollars cash. And with that, he now pays off his debts, so now he's happy. So, but now, I mean, he's now in the in the in the in the employment or in the servitude of this of this idolater, and relatives could not tolerate that. They're not supposed to tolerate. It. The law says relatives, your cousin. If it's your cousin, you have a responsibility to go and redeem him, which means you have to now pay the 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 owner the amount of money. Let's say let's say for example. He, he's bored five years before Jubilee for $100,000. That's $20,000 a year for the next five years. Let's say he's worked for, four, for one year already. And there's four, year, four years left of the five years. So that means that the idolater is owed, if you want to redeem him, he's owed $80,000. and You have to pay $80,000 to the idolater to redeem this cousin of yours, right? So that's the law, that's the halacha, that's the din. That's the law, you have to redeem him, right? If he can't afford to redeem himself, you as a relative you have to get together with the family and pay the pay the idolater the remaining amount of money which he's owed for those years before jubilee that's your responsibility well this is really astounding think about this who is this guy this guy like this guy has has brought this upon himself he's a down and out cousin of yours like imagine like uh, some cousin like some distant cousin of yours you know drifted off and did all sorts of crazy things he's now living uh, who knows where somewhere in Oklahoma, somewhere, in some kind of hippie commune or something, doing all sorts of ridiculous things, uh, not, not far, far, far away from you. And he did it, and it was as a result of just bad decisions, a series of bad decisions, poor choices in his life. He brought this decrepit situation upon himself. Right? It's easy to say, you know, you you made your bed, you sleep in it. You made your bed, you sleep in it. The Torah says no. I mean, this, this guy made his bed. He got himself in this situation. He didn't observe Shemitah. and it went on. It was a, it was a slippery slope till the point that he ended up becoming impoverished. he had to sell himself. We as his relatives, the cousin, the uncle, the relatives, have a have a biblical obligation to redeem him, to redeem him, to get him out of that situation. And you can't say, well, it's your fault, you put yourself in that situation. you get, I'm not responsible for you. That's not the Torah attitude. That's not the Jewish attitude. that's not our attitude towards our family members. Rashi said, I mean the, the art scroll quotes over here. The primary reason why we have to redeem him is because of the influence, the, the the secular influence, the spiritual influences, even though, again, he has his own responsibility to observe the laws himself. But, I co- but that's his responsibility. That's his responsibility. That's not my response. I, and I can't use, let's say I even see that he's not observing and that he's not observing his own responsibilities so i could say listen he's not he's not keeping his part of the bargain he's not he's not observing chapter uh, chapter 26 verse one and two he's not keeping why should i take care of him why have to why do i have to bother about it the answer is no i have it's it's i have a responsibility i responsibility that's part of our mutual responsibility to see the pain the difficulty the, 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 the 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 trap the spiritual trap that my cousin has, my brother has, my friend has, my relatives have, It's not we're not separate from each other. And even if he's not fulfilling his responsibility, I still have to fulfill my responsibility. He could be the worst guy. I still have to do it anyway. There's an amazing story, a true story, in Brisk, Brisk in Europe, in the, in the town of Brisk before the war. Uh, it was with the famous Rabbi Chaim uh, uh, Soloveitchik, true story so there was a fellow there in, in brisk and there was a it's like a bit of a kind of a radical student in the in the town in the yeshiva and he took a a picture some kind of a picture of the Tsar and burnt it and he was seen he was did it publicly and he was caught by the authorities and they arrested him and they were going to execute him But he was a, a radical person did these kind of things and suddenly brought this misfortune upon himself and the only way to get him out of jail they had to they had to raise a, a colossal amount of money to redeem him to do pidgin shavuim to return the redemption of capture of captives and though and the the rabbi soloveitchik was insistent that the community get together and they garner together the resource to be able to redeem this in this person this fellow so people in the community were, were in, were in outraged about it because they just, they, they, you know, the money was, and you know, there wasn't like a, a, such a lot of money around and to use that money to go and help somebody who had brought this misfortune upon himself, for his own ridiculous, you know, thing that he did, why should we go and help him? And he was, and they didn't want to help. There was a lot of reluctance to help. It came to Erev Yom Kippur, true story, it came to Erev Yom Kippur. They were in, so everyone was gathering into shul for Kol Nidre on Erev Yom Kippur and Rabbi Soloveitchik didn't show up. He wasn't there for Kol Nidre. So people wonder. They, they were waiting for him to begin Kol Nidre before, in order to, for him to come, to start Kol Nidre. But he wasn't coming. He wasn't coming. So they went, to, they went to his house. And he said, he said, you can tell the community that I'm not coming to Kol Nidre, and we're not going to start Kol Nidre until we raise the money to redeem this captive. And... They came back and they and the, the didn't they went around the, the town. They ran around, the, I guess, the community, different community, different shuls, and they ran around on Nidre night. And before this particular shul began their Nidre service, they ran around the raising the money to, to to save this captive. And it's again, it's an illustration of this idea. And he, anyone, I mean, everyone could say, listen, why, why should we ha- go and help this person? He did that. He he, he was ridiculous, he was foolish, and he hurt himself, and he's hurting the community as well along with it. And we have to save him, we have to help him. But this, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to give an answer to all these situations, but certainly it's a message over here, the very, very powerful message the Torah is giving, that we have to take responsibility. And we can't, again, we can't look at his, his dereliction and his irresponsibility and his neglect of his responsibilities as an excuse for me to, to, to turn the blind eye on him and not help him. And that's what the, that's what these, that's what, so we got two responsibilities. He has a responsibility on himself, but we have a responsibility towards him. So that's a message over here. I was thinking to myself also that even though this applies primarily to an interpersonal relationship, I think it also applies within ourselves as well, because, you know, there are times we make decisions in our lives. Our lives are a long journey. It's a long journey of life. And there are, and there are decisions we make at different junctures in our lives, which do define they define who we are. They define where we go. And, uh, you know, a person can really go through the same internal dialogue and this internal dynamic within themselves. They could say, well, I made this, I, I'm, I'm in this situation right now. I You know, I kind of made my bed. I kind of, I'm in this situation. We said, I don't have an excuse. But the other part of it is this, is that as a result of that alt- attitude of I'm stuck the way I am. It's almost as though we we, we can feel to, within ourselves i don't deserve to be redeemed i don't really there's to, to, to think that god is going to help me in this situation to change the course of my life and to kind of make things different the torah is saying no because if god is telling Ruvain to redeem shimon if god is telling Ruvain to redeem shimon that to see in shimon the potential the spiritual potential no matter what shimon even no matter what shimon did to bring him into that situation then that means that God sees the potential in Shimon. Well, there's a Ruven and Shimon inside of me. I have a Ruven and Shimon inside of me. The Shimon inside of me is the, is the part of which has made the poor decisions, but the Ruven inside of me, or the is the is the, is the well, wait, the, the, it's Hashem. Is, it was sees inside of me, he sees the potential inside of my Shimon. He sees inside of me the potential, and in the same way that Ruven has to redeem Shimon, Hashem will redeem me. Hashem will redeem me, and there's no, there's never an end to possibilities. has never an end to new horizons of spiritual growth, no matter where we are. Even if we've made decisions to be where we are, in the, Hashem always wants to redeem us. He always wants to help us if we only welcome Him in and we accept Him as being our Redeemer, then we will see new horizons and new Hashem will orchestrate things to change things around to be able to bring about new opportunities, new horizons. Despite the fact we made decisions which were not necessarily the soundest and wisest of decisions in our lives, if we just open our hearts up to Hashem to bring Him in as our Redeemer, then we will all be redeemed. We will all have a have an evolution of spirit, an evolution of being, and a and a, and a, a new new horizons of identity. So uh, that should we should really hold this message, both within ourselves and also. Seeing the potential in other people and helping people and doing for other people and helping them, especially in their spiritual you know, situations, helping people never to make excuses, never to turn a blind eye on anyone, not ourselves. And uh, it should all add towards the, uh, the journey towards bringing the final redemption of the final re- redemption, final gu'ula, very quickly in our days.